Hey y'all, and welcome to the Change Talk podcast, where we have authentic community conversations within and beyond the library and information science field. I'm your host, Sierra Harris, and I'm so excited that you're here. In today's episode, I will chat with Jessica Blizzard, the Life Skills and Wellbeing Coordinator for Richland Library in Columbia, South Carolina. Jessica is a licensed clinical social worker. She graduated from the University of South Carolina with a Master of Social Work degree and a graduate certificate in addiction studies. Her continuing education has primarily focused on trauma recovery and resilience. She's a trauma recovery and empowerment model facilitator and a Path of Freedom instructor trained through the Prison Mindfulness Institute. Jessica's work has primarily been inside detention centers for the past several years. In her role with Richland Library's Community Outreach Department, she provides psychoeducational group services, life skills classes, and art programming to incarcerated adults and teens. Her work with Pathways to Healing centers on providing individual and group services to incarcerated survivors of sexual violence. Jessica's passion is helping people gain insight into their own brains and bodies and helping them develop the skills they need to recover from adversity and truly care for themselves and others. And aside from her fantastic work in the community, Jessica is also a loving wife and mother to three exceptional children and a fur mommy to one Boston Terrier named Benny. I am so excited about today's episode because it focuses on the usefulness of social work in public library collaborations as a catalyst for equity and positive relationship building within libraries. Y'all are in for a treat today and I don't want to take up any more time. So let's jump into today's episode of the Change Talk Podcast. Hey, Jessica. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me. I know your title, and I feel like it's a huge title that can't probably encompass everything. (laughs) So could you briefly tell us exactly what it is that you do with Richland? Sure. So I work in the community outreach department and um, that title is relatively new. It came out of COVID. Um, Originally, my title was just social worker. Um, But uh, through my work in outreach, I primarily go to incarcerated environments, um, detention centers, prisons, um, DJJ, and provide life skills classes. And uh, the well-being part um, really became key because I'm trying to teach them things that when you hear life skills, you might think of like really pragmatic skills like money management, job seeking, uh, problem solving. Um, But I think it's super important to also integrate like personal well-being into those life skills, like self-awareness, healthy coping. Um, And so during uh, COVID, um, I started also doing that with some of the library staff. So I taught some self-care classes and um, mindfulness-based coping skills classes to our staff, and then also started branching outside of um, the detention centers into community uh, like Columbia Housing. And so, yeah, it kind of broadened out, but my core work is still primarily with people who are incarcerated. Uh, so I love that. That that goes directly into my next question about your background in social work. And my focus is on the importance of library and social work collaborations and just how beneficial they can be. And I love what you just said about how you were able to take your experience and put it into the work that you did with staff members as well. So yeah. why do you think those social work and public library collaborations are so important? 
Yeah, I just librarians and social workers, we just go together like peanut butter and jelly. There is something that is at that core root of believing in empowerment through information, through education, that that core belief in self-determination. It all really comes together um, in both of those professions. And I think that we also see um, such an opportunity to work with vulnerable populations in libraries because it can be the safe space in the community or ideally would be a safe space in the community. And so bringing that perspective, um, the social work perspective into a library just makes so much sense. And, um, you know, this has not been a long collaboration. And it's, I think, maybe 10 years ago when it first started happening in the bringing social workers into libraries. But once you see it in action, it makes so much sense. And um, for community outreach, especially because our goal is to reach out to those that have the greatest barriers to accessing our services. And so um, having a social worker on staff and community outreach just really does make a lot of sense. It does. It does. And I agree. I think it is definitely a new practice. My first introduction into it was in a pilot study that I read um, that took place in California. And it stood out to me, um, the research, unlike initial relationships that we have with our customers and taking them from being transactional to actually being interactional. And I love that. That became like my mantra for my first year of coursework. I was like, we have to focus on the relationship building and community building. That's what it's all about. So mm -hmm. what advice would you give someone? I feel like I'm a, I'm not seasoned by any means, but I have a little bit more intel taking all these social work classes. But mm -hmm. what advice would you give to LIS practitioners who don't have any of that background information, who want to um, strengthen the relationships they build with their community and make them more interactional and not just transactional? Mm. Uh, it's it's such an important thing to think of the whole person and that's really the approach I think when we go from this idea of that transactional idea of like there is like one goal we're trying to accomplish here we're going to see that goal through and then this is done to like this whole person exists and that comes with it so many different needs and also so many different resources and strengths um, and so I think when we think about the whole person, then that allows us to build our programming around things like um, arts, for example, that we might think of as just a transactional thing, like, oh, we did it, we had an art class, um, but really it could be meeting that need for that person to express some creativity and feel a sense of control in that moment, right? Um, or it could be that we're thinking of this whole person as in um, what ways can we provide some sense of emotional safety in this environment? Uh, how can I uh, address someone in a way that makes them feel respected or um, it, that attends to their need for dignity and um, connection instead of just like answering a question, right? So it's this idea that this person comes in with this um, background that we we know nothing about, but that we can assume comes with a lot of challenges and also a lot of strengths. And um, when we can meet them in that place, it just, it, it, it brings so many opportunities for both, both parties. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, and I know that we'll probably get there, but the trauma informed piece for that is, is ever present too. When we think about everybody walking in the door likely has some sort of trauma in their background and we can see them as a whole person who has experienced things that we, you know, can't know, but we can assume have been hard. Um, we can definitely try to approach them in a way that won't be triggering, re-traumatizing, and instead would be empowering. And again, attending that basic need for dignity. 
Perfect. That's beautiful. That really goes into my next question. One of the main things that I've taken from doing my research in social work, so taking these classes, is that social work really um, pushes the importance of everyone, it, no matter the level that a staff member is at, being trained behind the practices and services that y'all plan on implementing. Because you see the y'all, it's like y'all y'all know the importance of relationship building with everyone in the building mm -hmm. from custodial staff to the security and when I think about that in libraries a lot of times we have trainings but they're only for frontline staff members mm -hmm. they're only for people who are right there but the relationship begins when the customer enters the parking lot so it's when they talk to the custodial staff their interaction with security guards and looking at how our society is right now I think that is so important I think the library needs to inherit those same practices that social workers have when, mm -hmm. when it comes to training and the emphasis. I feel like y'all do such a good job when it comes to training from the top to the bottom. Can mm -hmm. you speak on that just a little bit and like be an advocate as to why we should make sure that when we are implementing these new policies and bringing in wonderful positions like you, like yours, that we make sure that everyone is included in those trainings as well? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've done such a great job of illustrating this idea that a person presents and their experience begins in the parking lot, right? It doesn't begin once they get their hands on a book or they sit down for the program. There's this whole experience that they're having. Um, and I think social work does do an amazing job of making sure that we're, we're training everyone and we're integrating everyone into the, to the goals and especially into the mindset. Um, but again, I think that's relatively like when you look over the history, that's relatively new too. Right. So I think that library services are right on our coattails. Um, and what I think, uh, would really be the benefit is, making sure that there's a cultural shift. So the, the training is incredibly important, obviously. Like we want to make sure that everybody has the knowledge and the skills. And um, and that can be as simple as a policy that just requires they attend certain number of trainings in whatever topic. Um, and Tamara King and I were just talking about how sometimes it's, we want to do the hearts and minds work, but really first we need to do the policy work and then we'll get to the hearts and minds because it, yeah. it, it kind of all goes together. Um, but I think the culture shift a lot of times has to happen too. Like even we were thinking about um, at ALA, we were having this conversation around library fines and the the way that they're, uh, you know, inherently more punitive to people who have less resources, right? And so how that's not a trauma-informed practice um, when we think about we're really targeting people who are the most oppressed. So it's, it's this idea of like shifting the culture around what is our purpose here? And um, if our security, for example, if they're in this uh, culture of um, like a punitive response, like if you break a rule, you're out of here, right? That's really, that, that can be addressed in a training. But there also has to be sort of this top-down cultural shift towards what is our goal here with our patrons? And our goal is to make them feel welcome, to make them feel safe, to give them the opportunity to have some control over their environment, their choices, um, and to to shift away from a putative response instead of to a supportive one, um, to an, uh, to see an opportunity for engagement, for redirection. Um, and I think that Richland Library is doing a really amazing job with that because we've just seen a, a big shift in the way that we're training all of our public safety officers and moving away from this, like, okay, like three strikes, you're out of here towards um, what's, what's at the root of this behavior? Why is this problem happening? Why are these you know, why, why are they breaking the rule? And is there an, a need there that we could actually meet? So is this an opportunity for us to be this place in the community where we can meet that need? 
Um, so yes, absolutely. Training from the, from custodial workers all the way up and back down. And then that shift towards what is our goal with our patrons? Like, what are we really trying to accomplish here in our community? Yes, I think it's an exciting idea. We want library users to be lifelong users, but we have to make sure that we're hitting the mark on every level of service from the policies, from how we treat our young. I always worked in youth services in the library, so I'm an advocate for youth. And I feel like sometimes that's an overlooked community. Like we put so much emphasis on children and then we put emphasis on adults. What about the teens who are gonna turn into the adults and then right. bring their children? It's a whole big cycle. So I think the work that you're doing is so important because you're an advocate for wellness, not even just in our customers, not even in just our staff members, but in the library as a whole. So thank mm -hmm. you for the work that you're doing. My okay. final question for you is what advice would you give LIS practitioners who are new, but mm -hmm. really desire to have strong, positive relationships with the communities they'll serve? Mm. So first is to make sure that you're informed about your community. So a lot of times when people start a new job, um, they're focused really on get like learning the ropes inside that building, uh, meeting everybody in there and figuring out, you know, where the break room is and what the policies are and um, but making sure that you get a really good understanding of what the community around you looks like, um, taking a look at what the, the needs are in the community and what the strengths are in the community um, so that you really are meeting them where they are. And then I think that um, that the, the idea of that whole person, again, is is so important. Like each person you meet, um, I'm I'm definitely going to steal that idea of transactional and interactional because it's <laughs> it is that right. It's this idea of like when you engage with someone, seeing as an opportunity to create a lifelong patron, um, seeing as an opportunity to provide support or help, and. And also, I think it's so important to be open-minded to expanding this idea of what a library does, um, because it is ever-changing and evolving. And the second that, you know, e-readers came out, it was, it's like, our library's done? It's like, no, we will never be done. Like, we have so much work to do in the community, and it can be so much bigger and more beautiful than maybe the original idea was, right? So um, so being open to that, being open-minded to um, taking on like a greater role in the community than just uh, providing, and not just providing books, because that's massive, but um, but what more can we do to, to meet the community where they are and to support them? Um, and I think that it, it's to be open to that feedback, um, to be open to receiving uh criticism, um, to correction, and to hearing from the people who are part of the community. And it could be that you're a part of that community too, but um, there's always going to be those little hubs and those little sections that we aren't familiar with. And so really um, seeking opportunity for that feedback, whether that be through like direct polling surveys where we get this really concrete, um, or just like hearing people out when they they talk to us um, and and softening into this idea that we always have room to grow and we always have um, room for improvement. And then, um, you know, taking good care of yourself. I always have to plug that because I see people who are attracted to things like library and information sciences and people who are attracted to social work. They are called to be um, a helper. They're called to do good in their community. And so sometimes that can lead to pouring and pouring and pouring out. And so making sure that you are taking good care of yourself um, is gonna allow you to serve people better. Beautiful. 
Thank you so much, Jessica. This was a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you. If no one tells you today that the work that you do is so important and that I they appreciate it, I'm telling you now, I thank appreciate you. the work that you do. Um, thank you again. I just can't say thank you enough. Absolutely, <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you all for tuning into today's episode and a special thank you to Jessica for sharing your insight with us. We really appreciate you and the amazing work that you're doing. Before we go, I wanted to share a fantastic resource that you might find beneficial. If you're interested in learning more about utilizing trauma-informed services within the library, and it is the Public Library Association's Trauma-Informed Framework for Supporting Patrons Handbook. It's a fantastic resource and a great starting point if you want to learn more. I'm also going to link the pilot study that I mentioned in the show notes. That is an amazing resource. And if you want some inspiration and you want to just feel empowered about the work that is taking place within libraries elsewhere, I would recommend checking that out. I'll put both links in the show notes. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode and you're excited for what's to come like I am, please be sure to subscribe. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode.